welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The second reading, the epistle reading, is from the book of Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits for the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word of the Lord. Please rise. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew writes that Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, 
Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. It is good to see you this morning and uh, to have you join us virtually uh, by means of technology that... uh, didn't exist so very long ago, and we didn't have until even less time ago than that. And so it is uh, where we are here in this 21st century uh, with all the technology we have, uh, still struggling with something as small and ancient and old as a virus. Okay? Uh, and so we look at the uh, look to uh, the gospel lesson uh, this morning for our moments of spiritual nurture and refreshment. Um, Mindful that today's gospel lesson is another of Jesus' many parables, and this one had impressed itself into the mind of Matthew, the one-time hated tax collector turned beloved disciple. Matthew wrote of this parable and others uh, and wrote particularly to an audience mindful of... uh, of Judaism, of the, uh, the people of the First Testament, the Old Testament, children of Abraham. Uh, and he wrote knowing that they would understand many things that were implied in his words uh, because of their background in the faith. When the New Testament came to be assembled, though Matthew was not the first to be written, uh, Matthew came to be the first in the order of succession in the New Testament of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And again now, as with last week's lesson, Jesus draws from the shared experience of his people, of those around him, his own people. Jesus himself, a descendant of Abraham through David. Jesus lived as the people of David lived. Jesus saw in those people, those who were nearest and dearest to the heart of God, the possibilities God sees in us all. Again today, Jesus draws upon agricultural imagery to illustrate things people will only dare dream of. Throughout his ministry, high among Jesus' priorities seems to have been that people not lose heart in the future, even in overwhelmingly disheartening circumstances. 
Jesus communicating that hope was essential. And last week, if you recall, Jesus fashioned a parable around seeds, seeds that fell upon various kinds of soil and resulted in various kinds of consequences and outcomes this week. Jesus talks about weeds found growing in a farmer's field. In this parable, we are told the presence of the weeds growing within the ripening crop seems to surprise the workers, but not the all-knowing farmer. This, Jesus said, was the competing reality of the good planter and the evil one in the world. Creation is good. Evil infects the good. The point to be made is which will prevail? The creator or the devil? Good or evil? The farmer in this parable assured his perplexed servants that in the end there would be a reckoning. Not right away, but at the harvest. In the words of the hymn that we'll sing, In just a few moments, wheat and tares together sown unto joy or sorrow grown. And have you noticed uh, the past few days, the custom harvesters, uh, combine after combine, making their way down Haynes Avenue. I saw it yesterday, reminding me as they headed to the fields, the time is near. The time is near. The parables farmer knew that not all the ripened seeds would be saved, only the good ones, the good seed, the wheat. At the harvest, the reapers would come, and they would come in the form of angels, Jesus said, and those angels would arrive, and they would know the true character of what they saw. Those angels would address good and evil with utter dispassionate righteousness. Do you ever notice the archangel Michael is always portrayed with a sword in hand for a reason? Even though seeds may look alike, the angels could tell the difference. Good grain would be safely stored. The corrupt would be reduced to ashes and dust like a running prairie fire. This truth, this truth might not be apparent, by observing the field in those first green days of the growing season, but it would become obvious by harvest. The sown seed would ultimately be known by its fruit. It is as if Jesus was saying, just wait, just wait and you'll see. Well, with that in mind, I want to pivot to today's second lesson. The second lesson from Paul's epic letter to the church in Rome. The Roman congregation was one of Paul's own formation and so very dear to the apostle. And Rome may have even been where Paul spent his last days. Paul's epistle to the Romans, which the church in our time has come to reduce to simply calling Romans, was a crucial element in Martin Luther's uh, treatment of such defining topics as sin and grace and justification and righteousness. Indeed, many scholars, biblical scholars, have long held Romans to be Christendom's single greatest epistle of all. 
Romans can be seen, if you will, as a synthesis of Paul's early life devoted to Judaism, his passionate uh, life in Judaism, and his remarkable conversion on the Damascus Road from persecutor of Christ into articulate apostle of Christ. But having just addressed the Roman Christians, you see, in the epistle about weighty topics like righteousness and justification, Paul pivots from the theological to the more practical side of things, from the abstract to his words, not mine, this present time, this present time. In this present time, Paul goes on then and dares to encourage in a single word, hope. <laughs> hope. Paul begins to consider the already as well as the not yet, the now and the when, always pushing and advancing hope forward into tomorrow. And so do you, do you see the linkage between the promise of the seeds in the gospel lesson and Paul's words? Both look toward Tomorrow, a new day, a new day rising expectantly, pregnant with possibility. And both speak of that new day's hope. In the parable, the hope of the bountiful harvest, for Paul, the hope of the newborn child, now, by the way, with that, I do also commend to you the Mile City Pregnancy Outreach Clinic uh, donation uh, opportunity there in the narthex. Take a look at that. In the parable, the hope of the bountiful harvest, okay, bountiful harvest, and for Paul, the hope of a newborn child. While Jesus spoke of the seed, Paul drew upon the imagery of childbirth. Birth before it was sanitized and taking place in a hospital, happening at home, or in one case, a stable and a manger bed. And what hope arose from that humble beginning, huh? The interval between that which was conceived and that which is born can be a trying time, but the time should always be one of hope, even as it is a time of great mystery and life's most sacred progressions, like the seed, such that the anxiety of waiting, the effort of labor, the planning, and the hope of what joys may yet be are all bound together until heaven and earth finally rejoices and declares, for unto us a child is born. I know it's still July but Christmas can't get here soon enough for me. Before Paul used the imagery of childbirth, Jesus employed similar words in explaining to his disciples that he was not always going to be with them, physically with them. In the gospel that bears his name, the beloved John remembered one such day this way, a day when Jesus said, a little while, and you will see me no longer. Again, a little while, you will see me. 
Jesus knew John wrote that the disciples wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while and you will see me no longer, and a little while you will see me? Jesus went on, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, and the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. For when a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a child into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. Jesus' words. As we traverse these hot days of late July 2020 with the prospect of a still rising tide of disease and with cities set ablaze as we watch the politicization of human suffering enduring promises and false hopes and now the manipulation of school reopening in the fall so as to wield power the words of both Paul and of Jesus Christ remain as important and as timely as ever. I can hear Paul like Jesus before him saying, did you really think this was going to be easy? We may not face down an army of occupation, as Jesus and Paul did, but in the world we do face realities that are designed and intended to instill fear and to separate us from hope. For sin and despair take many forms and wear many disguises and masks. Apart from hope, if separated from hope, apart from hope, evil is empowered. Apart from hope, evil is emboldened. Apart from hope, evil is indeed embodied. Fear is like weeds infesting and infecting the world with hopelessness. To aid in maintaining blessed hope in the face of a marching first century army or a 21st century invisible virus, God has given we the faithful a gift that gift is in part how the disciples would, after a little while, see Jesus again. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the shy person of the Trinity, sometimes timid, sometimes bold. Paul says of that spirit, though, always helpful, interceding for us with sighs too deep for words. Now, within our tradition, the Holy Spirit is described as being the very source of faith itself in Jesus. The Catechism explains the third article of the Apostles' Creed this way. Some of you may remember it from days long gone by. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, 
but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in true faith. This is most certainly true. What remains most certainly true is that Christians have never and must never lose hope. To lose hope is spiritual surrender. To lose hope is to have the good choked out by the weeds. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The hard times that are upon us, they are not about to quickly pass. Did you really think this was going to be easy? No. But take heart, for as we heard, he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it is we pray, the Lord of the harvest, send his We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.